America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better. It's Wednesday. Wearing my Wednesday recycling shirt, which means that my recycling got picked up successfully. Well, that's a good thing. I'm wearing my uh, my dark shirt uh, per use, Lance. And this episode, we have on a good friend, someone who is a legit friend, someone we're even working with, someone whose show we just took onto the Crawl Space Media Podcast Network. Her name is Rebecca Sebastian. Rebecca Sebastian's show is Dialogue. That's Di-A-L-O-G-U-E. You can check out all of her work at RebeccaSebastian.com. There's a link there to her dialogue show. It is a brilliant show that takes out all of the, um, I don't know, pretentiousness of somebody interviewing another subject about what they're good at. And it is so listenable, and she is such a great host. She is a great host, yeah, and she really tries to get to the why in true crime. It's like, why are we fascinated by it? And so yeah. it really opens up a, a wonderful conversation. And she also has Yellow Tape Trivia, um, which is a very cool true crime trivia show. And uh, and Lance, if it weren't for that uh, that COVID nineteen, we would have done a, a live show with her by now. Um, but uh, but we will do it at some point when uh, when we can. Well, I'll tell you what, we are doing a virtual live show with her and John Lorden. Uh, Sunday the 30th, we'll be doing a true crime, uh, yellow tape, true crime trivia. Uh, we're going to be joined by a cast of all-stars, uh, Sarah Turney and uh, Chris Duet from the aforementioned Criminal Perspective, the very mediocre Chris Duet, um, <laughs> who should be terrified. Not true. <laughs> not, not true, not true. Um, did I forget somebody? Sarah... Chris, Uh, you and me, John, Rebecca. It's going to be a good time. Uh, That is uh, Sunday the 30th. And that is at 8 p.m. Eastern, and we will have a link the closer we get to that date. And we'll be playing to raise money for private investigations for The Missing, the nonprofit, of course, started by Brianna Maitland's father, Bruce Maitland. And I want to mention really quickly that as Crawl Space grows as a company, we want to make the distinction between Crawl Space, the media company, and Crawl Space, the podcast about true crime and mysteries. Uh, for those of you who are checking out different things on social media that are coming from us, you'll see this gradual shift to a new logo that was actually designed by Jared from Even the Podcast is Afraid. We went back and forth for a little while on this creatively um, and 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 figured out the, the best logo that represented the company and what the company stands for and i think he really nailed it and that is popping up on the website it's popping up on the the show uh cover art all of the shows have it on their uh covers now and various uh other various other places where you'd see a logo it's going to start gradually being included but yeah we're we're moving forward this is part of the uh work that we're doing with rebecca as well So great job, Jared, from Even the Podcast is Afraid. Go subscribe to that show, too. Okay, everybody, hope you like the interview with Rebecca Sebastian. Make sure to subscribe to her show, Dialogue. There is a link in the show notes, and follow her on social media. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show, Rebecca Sebastian of Dialogue. What's going on, Bex? Hey, Tim. Hi, Lance. Good to be here. It's so good to have you. It's so good to have you take time out of your day because you have like 
15 different jobs, um, all of which some people would just consider careers. And yet you're still here. We, we, we made this happen at like nine o'clock at night. And um, we're so excited to have you on tonight. We're so excited to have you on the network, the oh Crawl Space Media Network. Thank you. I'm so excited too. And thanks for doing it at 9 p.m. Uh, yeah, you're you're right. I do a lot of different things. You interrupted uh, um, this podcast. I had to stop my busy puzzle, my puzzle hour. I was hard at work on my thousand piece <laughs> puzzle. Um, happy to take a break from it. But um, I am so excited to be here and really excited to be on Crawl Space Network with you guys. Tell us all the ways it's changed your life so far. Well, you know, I haven't been out of my house in days because the paparazzi, it's like the front door around the corner. You know, I can't go out. It's its hard. So I'm getting used to that, but um, that probably comes with time, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you really can't get used to it. I, I know you thought we were joking when we said that, and it only gets worse. Oh, really? It, okay. It, it, yeah, it does not get better with time. Um, the real issue is that no one's social distancing when they're all jammed up waiting for you. Yeah, no, big DNA fest. It's it's bad. It's really, really bad. But you can sell your photos, too. That's the good thing. You know, you can tell people where you're going to be and, and sell the photos later and really kind of make it a whole business. Yeah, well, that that's why I joined. You know, um, I wanted the most honest and above board way to monetize my <laughs> podcast and my work. So thank you for that. Well, you're in the right place. Yes, yes. Well, Rebecca, <laughs> if, you're looking to, if you're looking to monetize and legitimize, you've come to the right place. I know it. I know it. Well, Rebecca, you've done everything with your podcast so far. You've It's been here for a year. You've talked to everyone. You've talked to <laughs> incredible experts, really. And it's it's an impressive roster of guests that you've assembled. And uh, you it does feel like you've been here a lot longer than a year. And uh, so I want to just say welcome. Well, thanks. Formally. Thank you. I wonder if that's good or bad. That feels like I've been here longer than I have been. I, it could go either way. <laughs> no, no, no. It's very good. I have a little theory that I think, and I think with uh, show titles too, if, if it's like you hear it and you're like, oh, that sounds like that's got to have been a show already. Oh, good, And good. you find out it's not, then it's like, oh, you got a winner here. Okay. Like dialogue. Yeah. Cool. Good, good, good. I'm really happy with the name, actually, since you mentioned it. Um, I was definitely going to name it Yellow Tape, a true crime conversation, because I had done the trivia show, Yellow Tape, a true crime trivia show. It just felt like, oh, that's good. It'll be an extension. And it felt really long. I just couldn't. It just didn't wasn't sitting right. And I wasn't getting super excited about it. And then I'm like, well, it's about conversations. I just want to have different dialogues that I'm not hearing. And then it was like, boom. And I saw dialogue with the E. And it was like, it was over. So, and I brought in the little yellow tape as the hyphen to like bring in my yellow tape brand. And um, that's how the name came to be. So I'm glad you like it. So clever. And you have, you figured out a way to, um, you know, really, like you said, you brought in that yellow tape for your, to bring the two brands together, your yellow tape true crime uh, trivia uh, along with your dialogue so people makes that make that association uh do you think that helped you when you were getting these guests because like tim said you've had an impressive lineup of guests it didn't feel like there was a warming up period it didn't feel like oh she got some you know some of these guests that kind of do the circuit like you were getting people right off the bat that uh, that were very impressive made, they made us jealous just say it lance we're pissed about yeah it. i'm pissed i'm absolutely pissed oh you're kidding me well we're swimming in your wake already Stop. You've, you've seen that i'd love to know if there was a particular guest that you thought was super cool and you were a little jealous of that that would be amazing but um honestly I think every single one. they all are amazing I will say that is what I think carries the show um well I'm gonna I'm gonna say Mark McClish like yeah you 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 interviewed Mark McClish and we turned right around and, and grabbed him. <laughs> Smashed like, him right like, up. He's good. He's not joking. Like, no, that, that's, that is not a joke. I believe it was the day you released that episode was when uh, we reached out to him. Yeah. Yeah, we are swimming in your wake. Well, look, I'm telling you, I'll tell you my secret, my secret strategy. It's it's be a doting fangirl. It works every time. I just genuinely will read somebody's work or see them speak or hear their podcast. And if I truly love it and I really want to talk to them, I just sincerely ask. And most people, I mean, honestly, 90% have said yes. I've gotten a few no's and I've we'll gotten some non-responses. I will tell you. Okay. Um, I got the most polite no from Sarah Koenig, but, a, but an email response from her. 
So that made my day. And then we had a little like exchange, like a few emails back and forth. And at that point I'm like, Sarah, let's just, you know, hop on the phone. Like we're just going back and forth. But, uh, but she was like, no. So, but she very graciously declined. Um, I just got a no from Elizabeth Smart's people. I really wanted to talk to her, but she's not doing any press at this time. So usually the no's are, I don't have anything to promote right now. And to me, that's not as important. And I understand people use podcasting as a vehicle to promote their current work, but I'm just like, Let's just talk about true crime and what you're working on and culture and society and criminal justice. But um, if they don't have a specific thing, sometimes the timing doesn't feel right for them. Um, no, And then I've gotten like a not now, but later from someone I cannot wait to have on. But she keeps saying well, not now. I definitely just emailed uh, Sarah Caning and um, Elizabeth Smart's <laughs> yeah. people. I just emailed Elizabeth Smart's people at ElizabethSmart.com. So hopefully it gets to the right people. But um, I would fully, yeah, I'd fully expect that they're going to do a 180 and and uh, line up. Perfect. To get on Perfect. Your show. They're going to love that. <laughs> yeah, they'll figure that out. Um, but what about you? What what is the the one person if you if you had to choose one person to uh, talk about crime on a desert island with forever? Which one of your guests would it be, and why? Oh my gosh. Someone I've already had on. Maybe we'll do both. Um, that's such a great question, and I could choose a lot of them and be very happy with my answer. But I think I'll go. Well, I mean, the deserted island thing complicates things. Not gonna lie. Uh, <laughs> but okay, I'm taking it very seriously. I think I might go with um, Manai Tafari. Uh, He was a public defender, or he is still in Queens County here in New York, and he represented um, Nick Hillary in the HBO. He was featured in the HBO doc, Who Killed Garrett Phillips? And he's an activist, and I like the way he thinks, and he's a history buff. And I learned more in my 40 minutes talking to him than I knew before I sat down with him. And he gave me a lot of new names and and things to research. So I kind of think I'd need somebody like that who would just keep me learning and keep me interested. And everything he says is gold. I just, I really enjoy him. So maybe Manai. Okay, good answer. Yeah, solid answer. Is that is that essentially what you look for when you're interviewing somebody? You want to make sure you can walk away saying, I learned something because the audience probably learned something if you did? Yeah, I want, I usually can see a theme in their work or in what I think they're going to be centered and talking about that I think is, is a felt need of some kind. And so I try to zero in on what that is. And as much as I let the conversation really unfold organically, I do have like a, an outline of where I hope we go and things I hope we touch. So, so yeah, when I reach out to people specifically, it's to cover a certain angle um, or to address a certain topic. Do they get nervous sometimes? I haven't experienced that. A couple of people, very few. Most people really have, and a lot of them are podcasters and speakers, so they're really comfortable. I mean, most people like talking about themselves and their work and what they do and what they think. They make it very easy. There have been a couple people that um, think about what they say very carefully and ask if it's going to be edited and can they stop, can they say that again, and, you know, those are fine too. I've only had a couple, but I've noticed that's, that is a different dynamic when you're worried about someone feeling not completely comfortable, but I try to have a little interaction with them before we interview and, you know, a little chatter before we hit record. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Is there anybody that you interviewed that made you uncomfortable that you were nervous about, or maybe the interview wasn't going exactly uh, in the direction you wanted it to go in. I know you had Tim and I on your show one time, and that that's and that went perfectly. Yeah, it was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, once. I, I can't. I don't want to say more, but yeah, just once. It was Lance, though, right? I mean, <laughs> if you think that it was uh, <laughs> difficult interviewing me, then just wait. Then just wait. Then I really probably have no business doing this because you guys were gems. I, I will say interviewing two people is hard, harder than one person. Um, so I liked, I think when we did it, yeah, we Zoomed. And so that was really helpful. And my other two-person interview was uh, Amy Schlossberg and Megan Sachs, who you've also interviewed, uh, Women in Crime, Direct Appeal Ladies. And we were in person, and that was really helpful. I think 
Oh, I did one phone interview with two Netflix people who I'd never talked to. I'd only dealt with their PR people. They were the director and producer for uh, The Confession Killer on Netflix. It was very hard to get a rhythm because I didn't visually know either of them. I didn't have any rapport with them. It was sort of like they reached out to me sort of thing. So that was a little tough. It was a good interview. It was interesting, but um, just kind of hard to manage. I'm going through uh, your episode list right now and just writing down the, the people that we've also had on our show. Because there are, there's so many. <laughs> I was just gonna say that we have some, we have big overlap. I feel like it's on us though, but it really you. <laughs> no, no, no. Sarah Turney, you, I'm sure you had on way before I did. I feel like I owe Sarah Turney an apology. I had her on. She was one of my very early episodes, and I, I, I don't know. Some of those got away from me. I think I've gotten better with every episode, which I suppose is how it's supposed yeah. to go. No, there's, there's a lot there. I'd say there's at least 50% here. No, that... really? Oh, Dr. Scott and Shiloh. I'm, I'm looking. There's so many that, that we have uh, just been. The, we're, we're like we're like the vacuum cleaner. You just kind of drop <laughs> these things on the floor and we're like, oh, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take Stop. it. Stop. It's not even true. It's not even true. We pump out a lot of content, Lance, over here at Crawl Space Media. You really. We pump out a really lot of do. Rebecca's content. The, li- the list is still Stop. going. I think I'm at 10. Uh, All right. Oh my gosh, 10 out of, um, yeah, Wednesday will be my 56th episode. A happy 56th episode. Thank you. The Fall Line, Sarah Kayleen, Bill Thomas and Kristen Dilley, Justin Evans, uh, Karen Smith, Mark McClish, Shayna Roth, Sarah Turney, (laughs) Shiloh and Scott, Emily Nestor, Michelle Kazuba. I will say probably, okay. More than half of them you have interviewed prior to me interviewing them. So let's no, let's be real. I, I thought I thought it was the other way around. I mean, I feel like we've stolen really? more of your guests, but maybe. I think it's all fair game. And it's, it's definitely fair game. I mean, one it's big all conversation, right? <laughs> well, tell okay. us really like what the conversation that you try to create on your show is, because I know it's. Like you focus on the why, um, you know. Obviously, a lot of true crime shows focus on the who, what, where. But you focus mostly on the why. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's what I felt was missing in true crime podcasts because I listen to a lot of them and I have for years. And my true crime show, my trivia show, is all about the details of crimes, the who, what, where, and when. It's trivia. But I'm very interested in not only why the crimes happen. I'm actually probably less interested in that and more interested in why we're spending our evenings and our profession and our waking hours talking about it. I find that really interesting and how people came to like true crime and identify as somebody that would like true crime or be in the community. Cause it used to be a little bit darker, a little more, um, not shameful, but a little bit, you know, like a little, like the back room of a video store. And now it's so mainstream and, uh, it's where most content on TV and primetime is going. So I want to know why and how, how did it happen for people? So the first half of my interview was always getting people's kind of true crime origin story. What was the first book or TV show or thing that they remember? What case hooked them? And then their thoughts on why people are so captivated about murder and about really the darkest stuff of life. Uh, that's just endlessly fascinating to me. And then now I have so many field experts on usually we end up kind of talking about their work, which without directly answering the why sort of speaks to their why, right? They've devoted their whole career to a specific part of the criminal justice system or true crime content making. And that's, that's what motivates them. That is their why. So I love it. I'm never, ever bored. That's for sure. Well, that's super interesting. And it sounds like you're maybe unofficially or unintentionally amassing all of these bits of uh, knowledge, all these little bits of reasons why people are so fascinated by it. And I'm sure you see the entire spectrum where it's a a healthy obsession to a very unhealthy obsession. Uh, Somewhere in the middle there, people make it um, very productive. You know, people will either um, contribute positively to something uh, like a cold case or they'll do something like what you're doing or what like Tim and I do uh, for a living. Um, You don't do yours exclusively for a living, but a lot of people do. And um, yeah, I, I have you been looking at all of that information and saying, wow, I could probably write a paper on this. It's so funny. If I were more academic, I, I think I have some interesting, I guess it's anecdotal, right? I don't know if it would be considered real quantifiable research, but at, 
on the anecdotal level, yeah, I have some really interesting answers because every time I think I've heard every possible answer on why people care, someone will say something new that I've never thought of. And I go, oh my gosh, that's a great point. That is another reason we care. We're interested. And it's like adding it to the list. So I don't know that I would ever do like a formal academic paper, but I certainly have some literary ideas um, with the information. I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what comes of them. But um, but for my own purposes, it's it's fascinating. And I hope people find it interesting because I think it's interesting what one person says versus another. And what about the trivia element to what you do, too? Because I feel like there's definitely a psychological angle to uh, really writing those questions and really just admitting that that's something that people might want to take part in. That's interesting. Psychological psychological angle. Um yeah, you know, it's delicate. When I started it, the real story on starting that was that I had stopped drinking. Here's the here's the story I don't tell everybody all the time. Um, for personal reasons and just wanting to take, I wanted to remove alcohol from my life to see if it would, I hope this is okay to talk about, to, um, I think it's all related, to, to see if it would affect my depression. And, you know, it's a depressant they say. And it turns out that is very, very true. So I remove alcohol and it was sort of like this block that I think I'd had that I'd been kind of numbing and, and alcohol had taken the place of some creative energy. So all of a sudden I had nothing to do. I mean, I had three kids in a full-time job. I had lots to do, but this free space in my brain. And it's like, I just exploded with ideas. And the one thing I really wanted to do was like write down everything about true crime that I thought of and that I'd learned over the years. And we were at a, um, a pub night, like a trivia night, and I'm drinking Diet Coke, and I'm like, this sucks. And if any of the questions were true crime, I would be killing it. So that's when the idea just was like, here we go. And I always knew I wanted it to be um, sensitive and fun, really, really fun, but never exploiting people and never victim shaming. And I wanted it to do good, so that's why we brought in the fundraising element. And that's how Yellow Tape started. And then a couple years into that, I realized there's much more to say and it's not conducive to this trivia format. And that's how Dialogue started. So Yellow Tape was really like an experiment for me to find something to like put this like new energy and time found into something. And uh, it was like once it started, it was like an explosion for me. Oh, that's uh, that's incredible. It's a really incredible story. I, I remember um, just on a, on a related topic with, with you're saying you removed alcohol from from your life and it opened up the space in your brain. I remember my uncle saying that he, he was a, an alcoholic and or is an alcoholic, but probably sober like God, probably like 35 years now or something. But I remember as a kid him saying to me, wow. um, I had to replace something with with that. And he ended up it's not like a official diagnosis of him being obsessive compulsive, but he counts everything. And he, and that was the thing, like they were building a deck on the back of his house. And he goes, I know exactly how many nails are in that deck because I heard them and I counted them every time. And, and that's what started the conversation. And I was like, why? And he said, well, when I took alcohol out of my life, there was just a gap that he needed to fill. And he just started counting stuff. That's really interesting and good for your uncle. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy for him. Yeah, it is really interesting. I think everybody's on their own journey with that. And um, I don't think it's what everybody needs to do to, to have a creative and fulfilled life, certainly. But for me, it was something that once removed, it like freed up this space to do something. And um, I'm not good at math, so counting it wasn't. It was a true crime trivia for me. <laughs> Okay, well, you said what you learned over the years um, about crime. Uh, what did you mean by that, and where do you learn these things? Oh, well, I guess I, I learn it the way everybody does, right? I watch all the things. I watched, like, there was a Dateline period of my life. I'm not so much into Dateline now. I mean, I just don't catch it that much. I like it. But um, there was, like, a Dateline era where I just watched those murders because those are the ones that are really interesting to me or the – it's someone already in your life. It isn't a serial killer because that's so much more likely. Um, and then when podcasts came on the scene, you know, serial for me was like, I mean, that was like a religious experience. <laughs> I felt like I was listening. I'm also a very auditory person. Um, looking back at kind of my education and in school, I, I think I did better when I would almost have my head down on the desk, but listening to the teacher because I could get distracted by visuals because I'm also very 
creative and I'm always imagining things in space and how I want a space to look. So just listening for me is a very good way of retaining information. So once I heard cereal, it was just like, what else can I get? And, um, you know, just adding all the podcasts. So learning might even be a stretch, just what I consumed. And I just wanted to, I wanted to add, I wanted to do something with it and I wanted to, to be part of it. I didn't want to just keep listening. I wanted to, to add to it. Well, then what's your origin story? If, if you, everyone tells you theirs, come on, right. I know, I know I should, um, I should have a, a moment, but, um, I guess I would say always the interest, always the, uh, looking at things I probably shouldn't look at staying up later to watch. I mean, poltergeist happened. That wasn't true crime, but that just ruined me generally, um, for clowns, which I learned on LA not so confidential is an actual phobia and a real thing. So not just something like girls say sometimes it's like real. Um, but I would say cases that got me were, were happened in high school. The nineties were, were really great time for some kind of golden cases. So the OJ Simpson case happened my freshman year at the verdict, I should say. And the Menendez brothers also was right around that time. And they actually lived in Princeton, New Jersey, where I'm from prior to them living in Beverly Hills. So there's lots of like Menendez folklore in New Jersey and in Princeton. They owned after they'd murdered their parents, they bought a restaurant. I don't know if you remember this little factoid. This um, They called it a cafe, but it's Chuck's Wings. It's this wings place. It's like a famous place. It's where everybody gets wings from the university, from the town. And the Menendez brothers owned it. I don't think they do anymore. And friends of mine, their art class got selected to do a mural in it. So it's just like a weird connection to the Menendez case. But I think... The O.J. Simpson case was when I go, this is really interesting because it's a murder trial, but we are talking about so much more. And my school was very divided on it. It was very racially polarizing. And I just was like, I just loved it. I loved learning about it. And so I think those cases for me were really when I sunk my teeth into true crime. Have you ever thought about reaching out to O.J.'s people or the Menendez's people? Because that'd be a good get. No, um, I haven't thought about the Menendez brothers that I could get on board with. I've thought about Kim Goldman. I actually, she's on my list for season two. She'd be a huge get. And honestly, I thought her podcast was fantastic. I think, I don't know if you listen to confronting OJ, but it's so good. So I would love to talk to her. I really don't have any interest in speaking to OJ Simpson himself. Not that he would do it, but I, I just really actually don't, wouldn't really want to give him the airtime. Um, Menendez is interesting because I do have questions there about the abuse and their defense. And, um, yeah, I mean, gosh, they've been there so long and yeah, I would, I would talk to them, hook it up, make it happen. <laughs> well, now that you're on the crawl space media network, uh, it's probably already been emailed to us, but we just have lost it in the yeah. massive amount of uh, email inquiries that we get okay. on a daily basis. So we'll go through those. Uh, we'll just sift through that. I'll do a, a search in the email box for uh, Menendez. See what I'd comes appreciate up. it. I'd appreciate it. Once they hear this, I'm sure they'll reach right out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So here's a really generic question that people probably ask you all the time. Historically speaking, way back, what would be the most fascinating case you'd like to cover on an episode of Dialogue? Uh, case? Or, or um, yeah, I mean, uh, if you were to interview somebody about a series of crimes or something that they did, you know, like, historically speaking, like, way, you know, anything. Like dead or alive Could, kind of thing? No, no. Yeah, dead, dead. Go back. Dead, okay. Like time, time travel. Um, well, I really love cults, so I wouldn't mind talking to Manson people, the women of Manson's life. Um, maybe Manson. I really am interested in Charles Manson. I think I could get excited about that. Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd, I like that time period in history 
and um, I'd, I'd have some questions for the girls. Oh, interesting. When did your uh, fascination with Charles Manson begin? That's a good question. That's probably more in my adult life. I mean, I think I've always been interested in cults because we've used that term, I think, very flippantly and have referred to religions and certain denominations of religions as cults. And growing up in a smaller kind of conservative environment, there's there were some allusions to that. And as I got older, I saw some some not red flags like I was in a cult, but just some problematic leadership. And so I guess I understand the leap to cults a little bit. I guess it doesn't seem as crazy as it is. It doesn't seem entirely impossible to me. And the more I learn about them, the more I realize any one of us are very, could be privy to becoming brainwashed. And it's really about a person's vulnerability and the season in their life where they're positioned and when that leader meets them. I think it's like a perfect storm of circumstances. And if a few things are in place, I think any one of us could be taken. So that's just really interesting to me, maybe because of um, growing up religiously. Wow. Yeah, that's a great point about the timing needing to work out there um, in in those people's lives. Um, and I know that you talked to um, Rebecca Heath, who from yeah. the, uh, the Bear Brook case, and uh, who was in a cult. Well, did you know that before you talked to her? Not before we talked to her, no. I didn't either. So that was an amazing interview. Well, I don't know if it was an amazing interview for me. And by amazing, I mean that was like my jaw was on the ground because I brought her in to speak about her work in helping crack the case of Bear Brook and identifying these, um, these, these victims who had no name for all these years, this woman and this little girl. She's just, she was like one of my big gets. Like I was so excited when she finally messaged me back. I harassed her on LinkedIn for months. Finally got back to me. I mean, our names are the same and spelled the same way. So I was like, we are doing this, like whether you are on board or not. So eventually I got her on and um, then just really casually in the middle of our conversation, or actually it was towards the beginning, she was like, well, I grew up in a cult and escaped one. So and da, 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 and went on. And it was very clear she didn't want to talk about it. And I could have really happily like gone down that trajectory in the conversation, but it's not a story she tells. And we talked about it later. She didn't want to. So that's fine. I totally respect that. But yeah, people you don't realize, and probably more people than you think, that is their story. And my second episode is a woman who escaped the Children of God cult. I met her in Iceland bizarre story before I had a podcast and I reached out to her once I started it and said, you know, I'd love to talk to you. And her dad had gone to Harvard. Uh, her parents were really well educated, upper middle class. I mean, they, they don't seem like textbook cult victims and yet there they were and they completely sold their kids up the river for this cult and were separated. And she ended up leaving at age 16 and had to completely start her life over. So that's, if you haven't listened to episode two, it's actually my highest downloaded episode. It's a really interesting story. Well, what was, what was her name? Her name is Alex Ockeson. She lives in Iceland. And um, do you want to hear how I met her? Please. Well, because she was on our show first. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was like, crawl space, get me Alex. Um, I, we went to Iceland for our anniversary, my husband and I, and it was our 20th. And he had something huge planned and he was like, you have to wear all white and it's at night and I can't tell you. And I was like, well, I know it's not like a vow renewal because we would never do something like that. But this sounds real culty, like, because you want me to wear all white and it's winter. We were there in January. And so we drive up to this building and it's the University of Reykjavik. And I'm just like, this is not romantic, but I'm intrigued. And we go in. And there was like this formal event, but then he's like, that's not where we're going. We go downstairs to like a student center and it's a white party. They're having this white party and you're supposed to wear white and they're having speakers. Well, first thing you should know is nobody wore white because they're college students and they don't like do stupid things like follow the theme of a party. So we like the 40 year olds walk in like head to toe, like white denim, the whole thing. But then he's like, and I'm just like, no one's wearing white. He's like, that doesn't matter. Look who's speaking. And it was like cult survivor, Alex Augustin is sharing her story. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so amazing. It's like the perfect gift because not exactly how he wanted to spend an evening. But for me, it was really interesting. So she shared her story for the very first time publicly. 
And uh, it was very moving and very emotional. And I met her after, kept in touch. And gosh, I guess it was like less than a year later, I had the podcast and she came on. It's a weird story. Uh, <laughs> fabulous story. Yeah, that, that is really cool. Um, what, what is it about the the cult that intrigues you and, and her story? Is it just the psychology, the brainwashing and then coming out of it and you realize that you've never realized you were being brainwashed? Like, what what is it about it? Yeah, there's so much about it. I think what's so interesting to me about cults, I mean, specifically about Alex's story, there's just a lot of actually devastating parts of hers because kids were really, really victimized horribly. And there was a lot of like sexual abuse and misconduct. Um, but what's interesting to me about cults generally is the leaders seem like in other places and other times, they would be really successful. They'd be like a Steve Jobs or a Zuckerberg. I think they're, they're leaders and they can galvanize a group. The politicians, actors, like I think it's a super fine line between a cult leader and a certain kind of brain who is like wildly intelligent and creative. And it's like they kind of they directed it in this negative, harmful, destructive way as opposed to for something good. And that's just super interesting to me. I mean, I've seen that over and over and Charles Manson included. He was actually a very talented musician. And I've heard his version of the Beach Boys song that he wrote. And I, I, you put it next to the Beach Boys song, like, and you don't know who's singing which, you would pick Charles Manson's. It's better. It's more interesting. Like, I think he was like a frustrated artist who, I mean, a lot more happened to him. I'm not minimizing his crimes and his control. I'm saying... I think with other circumstances, sometimes cult leaders might have done really good things, and that's interesting. And uh, besides Lance, have you ever met anyone like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I've met a lot of people like that. I think um, I think narcissists. I think cult leaders are often narcissists, and I've met a couple of those. And there's something appealing about a narcissist. You know, they're not usually lonely or lacking for people in their life until something is ex has exposed them. But there's often, you know, people around them for a reason. Um, and I, I mean, for me as a woman, there's, it's often a male and there's a lot of female attention around them. So, so yeah, I think I've never, I've never been around a cult leader that I know of, but I have been targeted by one in Queens where I live. This group is after oh, me. Do tell. Now, now I sound now I sound crazy, but um, there is a cult. It's a church name. I'm not going to say it, but um, I looked it up, and in Wikipedia it said cult, American cult that started in Korea, but now is called this. But later I looked it up to show my kids to prove something, and it had been changed to religious organization. So that changed. So they were on to that, but um, they just go around they stop you for directions. They ask you where something is. And then they ask you if you attend church. And then they ask you if you attend Bible study. And then they ask you if you believe Jesus was a man. And do you think he had a mother? And I'm like, and I, you know, it's bad because I want to engage to the last possible moment before they like do their voodoo on my brain. So I just want to get as much information. And they, they found me on Instagram after this and they started like messaging me to join little invitations and my kids, my family thought I was crazy. It happened again, and they were with me. A different group of people, but the same pitch, same organization. And then I was at a Target further out in Queens, and they were there, and they approached me as well. So I've got, like, join a cult written all over me or something, because they've come to me, like, three times. But um, apparently this is a modern, problematic church organization that is recruiting people. Man, that is fascinating. That is fascinating. That's why we were so ag aggressive after you for the show. I mean, we're essentially a cult. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you know that I'm bringing, you know, no, I'm not a cult leader. See, I wish I could bring you like millions of people. I'm much more apparently going to be a cult. Well, that's okay. Member. That's okay. What, what's your opinion on the difference um, between a cult leader who is, you know, has that... Uh, has that character trait has is the narcissistic uh, behavioral traits and um, and a politician because a politician has to have some sort of uh, confidence level, perhaps narcissism, and they're in charge of leading people into 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 uh, situations. 
And they're taking our money. Yeah, and they're taking our money and not always being honest about what they do with it. It's a fine line. Honestly, um, I suppose the difference is if they, you know, I think if you get isolated or removed from your community, family, friendships, job, and um, are required to prioritize the relationship with this person. So assuming, although if you work for a politician, you probably do feel like that. It's probably very demanding. So a very fine line. And I am certainly not saying they're cult leaders, but this is my point is that it's blurry and it's gray. Um, But most politicians would say they're, um, and so would most cult leaders now that I think about it, their intentions are really good and they just want to help people. So interesting, right? Um, What's the big difference? I think there's a, a team in place. I think there's some checks and balances around politicians that hopefully we know that those get exploited too and that there's all kinds of scandal. But I do think there's a bit more um, accountability surrounding a politician than there is a cult leader. Uh, whoever buys into the cult and the cult leader is usually sucked in. I don't know. This is sounding like there's no difference. <laughs> no. Well, I think uh, I think a big part of the difference is their um social structure, their environment. I I think a lot of politicians come from families that have been traditionally affluent and in politics. Uh, I mean, it goes all the way back to like the Adams family uh, in Boston, like John Adams and and, and his son. Like those are, there you go. I (laughs) I was waiting on it. Thanks. But you know, there's always, uh, there's always this uh, lineage, you know, this this heritage thing that is going through. Um, And you said that, Charles Manson was a struggling, was probably a struggling artist, probably had all the same types of like charisma characteristics that a politician would have, but he didn't have the, I guess, uh, direction assigned to him. Correct. I think that's a great point. I think that's a good distinguishing factor, lineage, um, something that came before them that would put them on a trajectory a bit more easily. Look at um, our country right now and the political division, do people on both sides not seem like cult members? I mean, the way they're so emphatically demonizing the other side and elevating their leaders' politics, there is a lot of strange, you know, comparisons that kind of hold up, actually. I mean, people who are espousing so strongly one person of any party, it's like a little suspect, almost. Uh, to have that much devotion to one fallible human. Great point. I mean, really, you know, we shouldn't have have that much blind faith in one person, um, especially a person in power. Um, so you really always need to be able to change your mind and even admit that your vote might be wrong. Right, right. Or go back to a monarchy where at least, you know, it's one person, but it's royal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I say let's let's go to communism. I'm going. I'm going right. I'm going right to communism. Some people would say we are. Yeah, uh, the essential building blocks of communism weren't half bad. Yeah, no, there's some things. Some things worked, and we could probably like pick and choose from lots of different problematic um, structures and and piece together something maybe better. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry, Lance. Was I? I don't want to interrupt. The, uh, you were gonna add another. Oh, I'm okay. good. I'm good. I I just said I wanted to be a communist, so you should probably interrupt me. We should probably move on quick. Speaking of narcissists and the like, you had Tara Newell or Tara Newell on. Newell, yeah, Newell. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and wow, what a fascinating story with her and Dirty John and everything. And I mean, she's yeah. like a legend in uh, in really in, in crime, true crime. Like, uh, yeah, she it's is. unbelievable. Yeah, what was that like talking to her? It was great. Um, she was one of my first episodes. I think she was episode four. So getting her was huge. And I had nothing to go on. I saw her speak with Laura Richards at CrimeCon. I was incredibly moved. And I also felt she was being, um, I don't know, I felt people were giving her her rightful due. Like she was a survivor. She is a survivor and she is a badass. But sometimes a portrayal of her, I wasn't appreciating. And I, I, I wanted to talk to her myself. And, um, she just really, she impressed me, but yeah, that story is crazy. Um, Tara, I think is a really unique person because what happened to her was so horrific and so scary. And she's returned, you know, 
the result of it has been this very generous, she wants to help others now, you know, and she's been so generous in giving her story and sharing it in hopes of helping other people. And that, that really impresses me. I don't know that I could have done that as quickly as she was able to. And she's also very honest about the work she does. Uh, the PTSD is real and she has ups and downs and she has good times and bad times. And, uh, she shares all that. And so she's also just like really, there's a lot more to her, I think, than people even realize. But then we should realize it because she was able to think so quickly and turn that story around that we know how that story should have ended and would have ended in so many other situations. And the fact that it didn't is a miracle, but it speaks a lot to who she is. And uh, she was a great interview. I ended up sharing a story with her on the podcast, my own story. I had no intention of sharing it. It was something very personal and she just, her response was so wise and I mean, with no obvious preparation because I didn't tell her we were going to talk about it. I think she's really gifted. I really do. I think she's going to do big things. Well, the uh, the only question I have for you in regards to that is why haven't you forwarded her email address and contact <laughs> information? Yeah, that's I actually... I was I gonna. That, I was actually getting there too. Uh, and same thing with Rebecca Heath. We have uh, spent some time with her in person, but we've never had her on the show. So I was actually circling back uh, over these uh, your list of, of guests that we're trying to get now. My Rolodex is your Rolodex. Honestly, um, they're both such great women. You should interview them. They both deserve the mic. They're awesome. And how difficult was the interview with Justin Evans from the Generation Y? I mean. He must have stonewalled you left and right. Yeah, he's so um, not sweet or sensitive or kind. So it was intimidating. But no, he was he was so gracious. But honestly, I am probably I haven't listened back to that interview. I can't like it was a surreal one. And I was running late and I was flustered. We met in the city and we did it in person. Uh, We interviewed in person and I. I don't know. It was just one of those surreal moments because his voice is so distinct. I've listened to him for so many years that sitting across the table talking to him, I just kept having like a weird out-of-body experience, and I was finding it really hard to stay in it. I think it came out okay, and we had fun, and we talked after and hung out, but um, he was great. But it did feel, I mean, I know he doesn't like this kind of thing, but like he is a little, he's a bit of an icon for me. I found his show right after Serial. So he was one of the first, his was one of the first true crime podcasts for me. And uh, it was a tough one for me to, to focus. Well, I mean, with that rugged beard and that, that, that Bill Thomas voice, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I know, right? I, and he's so tall, so I had to like gaze up. It made him look more like a fangirl than I already was. It was embarrassing. Pretty accurate uh, description of me at uh, CrimeCon when I first met him. I was definitely gazing. I'm not going to lie. Isn't the celebrity part of true crime so weird and interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was one of my questions, actually, that we can, since you uh, sort of, you know, introduced this topic right now. How do you feel about the making a living off of it? And I'm not saying making money off of it, but how do you, you know, hand over fist type money, but how do you feel about that? You know, you you have the, the... the Nancy Grace end of the, you know, of the spectrum. I, I don't actually have a problem with anybody making a living creating true crime content. I actually really don't. I have a problem with the way some people do it, but I don't think, uh, you know, podcast journalism should be an industry or career separated from revenue or from commercial success or viability. I think what's weird sometimes is just that every subculture gets celebrity type people. And so we're all this community and you feel like you know everyone, but then you realize there's like famous people now who, who were doing the work all along, but then they kind of blow up, right? So, so that's weird, but I don't actually think I have a problem with anybody earning a living from podcasting, writing a book, um, any of it. I mean, if they're just really exclusively salacious and gross, I wish that wasn't the case, but I don't even know that I would say they shouldn't earn a living. If there's a paying audience, I'm not going to support it, and I'm not going to encourage people to. I might even speak against it, but I don't have a problem with that. And even like a Nancy Grace whose style and tone is not my own, and if I had her platform, I would speak differently. 
she's kind of earned her way up there too. I mean, she's got way more titles and, and education than I do. I mean, she, she, she also has a very personal story that gives her so much credibility. So style wise, I can disagree with somebody or something, but also not take away from their, um, credibility or they, they have every right to be there and, and do what they do, how they do it. There's a lot of true crime podcasts I do not care for. And I don't have to listen to them. It's just so simple. Well put. Well put. Thanks. Well, Rebecca, what is in store for season two of Dialogue? Good question. Uh, well, I just got the big no from the person who I was hoping to open the season. So um, I actually have a couple guests lined up that are that could should be first. They're amazing. So I think what's new for season two well, for one, I learned that 56 episodes is way too many for one season and I should take more breaks. So I'm never going to do a 56 week stretch of new interviews for a year. That's not going to happen. Um, I will keep putting out a weekly show, but a little more paced. Um, I think I want to do themes. I think I want to do as much as I'm able, you know, September, I'm going for a survivor theme and I have some other ideas of topics I want to tackle and find guests that align nicely with that conversation. I don't know how often I'll always be able to time it perfectly and execute, but that's my goal, is that I think it'd be cool to to partition off blocks of conversations that are around one idea and how much they can differ based on who you're talking to. So right now, September's shaping up to look like a survivor story, and that can mean survivor in a lot of different ways. So I might have some returning guests, but I have some new ones who have major, major stories. And uh, so that's new. And then I'm also working on a second podcast that I can't talk too much about, but it's much more of an investigation style case related podcast. Um, So that will come out early 2021. So there's stuff. That's fantastic. Is this the uh, secret project that you're working on with Justin Evans? It's you and Justin Evans, isn't it? (laughs) It is not, but if, if that uh, is a secret project that he wants to exist, I'm probably available. <laughs> there you go. Heard it here first. A crawl space exclusive. Rebecca Sebastian wants to team up with Justin Evans. Mm-hmm.